I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in those countries. For the most part, we're just a landmass across the way where people went to escape for their lives and for freedom. In many cases, they've lost contact when those people came. It's not unusual when I'm in a congregation over there, they'll say, my brother went to Toronto, but I lost track of him. And they'll give me an old letter that came back in the days when postal codes weren't as complex as they are. Or they say, they went to Western Canada, but I don't know where they went after that. Uh, That's hard for you to understand in our world. But in their world, even though the relatives here would have tried to communicate, the mail was intercepted. And even though the people here would have tried to communicate, by the time the letter went back, they were forced to move in another area. In those days before perestroika, somebody could have knocked on your door, and if they didn't send you to a gulag for being a believer, they could have said, from now on, you will work in Churchill. You had no choice. And sometimes they would say, you will go there, and you will not be able to worship anymore. You will be persecuted for your faith. And so there was much unrest. And so as much as we do the things that Pastor Dan Martignac has said, the point of our focus is national pastors. Because we can train them, but if they don't have support, how do they carry on? And so one of the things I'd say is, yes, we do the training. Yes, we do the Bibles. Yes, we do the partnerships in a variety of way. We also focus on those pastors. And when you think of your front expanse here, and if you could picture what you would, some of you would refer to as the, the former uh, Soviet Republic, now the Commonwealth of Independent States, the whole expanse of that is 11 and a half time zones. And I'm assuming I still have volume, which I do. If uh, you think of what Ukraine was, or is, it's down here, that little square, with Belarus being up there, and the whole rest of the expanse being uh, Russia. But when you get about to here, you have Kazakhstan, which I say is sort of got a humpty-back camel in the middle that sticks up. To the east of that's Mongolia. But in here you have Georgia, Armenia, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, and all the other little stands. So with that background, I want to get your minds a little bit more in gear, and then I'll give you a report and look at the Word of God. Now, North of Ukraine is a country called Belarus. They sent some tractors over here that were kind of disposable tractors, but some people bought them. Uh, you called them Belarus. They, call, they should have been called Belarus. What does Bella mean? Any ideas? Pardon? No, it doesn't mean good. Who said white? Yes, sir, give that man a book. This is, these are ministry pictures. Now, if you are from Ukraine now, you will never say Bella, because Bella is the Russian pronunciation. The Ukrainians now say Bila, and it means white. Another question. Uh, we've already talked about the little stands. What does stand mean? It has a specific meaning. It means home of. So when you think of Tajikistan, it's the home of the Tajiks. When you think of Uzbekistan, it's the home of the Uzbeks. I have another another question. Uh, Joseph Stalin, the infamous 
leader of Russian, for whom Russians think nothing was wrong, even though millions of people lost their lives. Joseph Stalin was not born in Russia. Where was he born? In one of the former Soviet republics. Yes, I'm going to put the book for you here, sir, okay? And this is not Georgia south in the U.S., it's Georgia, Georgia. And by the way, you can tell if somebody's from Georgia... uh, Their name will end with Lishvili. So, now hear this. One of the pastors we work with in Georgia, his name is Dr. Levon Akal Mosu Lishvili. It took a long while to memorize that, so I hope you're impressed. Now, I want to thank you for your partnership with various things. You may not realize it, but you, that is, Watasquin Mission Church, was the first Canadian church to partner with Slavic Gospel Association. The very first. Because a number of those early believers in the Ukrainian and other backgrounds became missionaries, and you probably supported some of them. I could list some of the names, but uh, one was from Dickey Bush, the other was from Smoky Lake, some were from Athabasca, some were from, from uh, Glendon. But you maybe supported some of them. But thank you for your help last year with uh, Emmanuel's Child. Now, Emmanuel's Child doesn't just go into a black hole with SGA. It goes to specific pastors. And because the bulk of the partnerships that we have in Western Canada had been with Stavropol, which is extreme southwestern Ukraine, there would have been a child that got the one part of the star on which says, God loves you. They would have got that from you with a name on it. So you'd look at that name and say, somebody in Western Canada is praying, I will come to know the true meaning of God's love. And so these would have been given to local pastors in local churches, and they would have invited orphans and people in their community, and parents and children would have come and heard the gospel. And so the packets are made up there with the funds that you provided. They're given a Bible and invited them to Sunday school and churches, and this results in children and parents coming to know faith and coming to Christ in faith. We had one situation in another area where a little boy walked 10 kilometers across the woods and bush, you may say, well, is it all rough area? No. But when you're walking, you take the most direct route. And he had heard there was a local church doing something special for Christmas. And he came all by his lonesome, which is a miracle these days, because after the Bestland school tragedy, believers, unbelievers don't let their children go without them being with them. But he came and as he sat down and heard the gospel, and then this gift was given to him, his response was, is this all for me. And that's often the reaction because some of these areas are very, very poor. In fact, in some small villages like on the outskirts of around here, the common question this time of year would be, do you have enough wood cut for the winter? Is your, do you have enough feed set aside for your cow? Uh, how about your potatoes? How did they do? Because that's the difference between eating, eating and living and not living. And so one of the ministries of local churches is caring in those ways. You might also pray for the situation in eastern Ukraine. Of the 94 churches that we've had involvement with in eastern Ukraine, we don't support all of them, but we have involvement through the wider umbrella. 85 of them are still functioning, but not functioning well. In one situation, in one city, all the utilities are gone, all the employment's gone, but people who had no place else to go are still there. And in that one city that I could tell you about, there are only six wells still functioning. Four are on church properties. Because, you see, the churches were concerned that the city might cut off the water to them, so they dug their own wells. 
this has been a real blessing for ministering the gospel because most of them, most of them are operating soup kitchens and people are coming and getting their haircut, getting clothes, being cared for. So I thank you for the partnerships and uh, still much needed. Um, but beyond that eastern Ukraine area, people have scattered all over the areas. Because you can imagine, a congregation this size, you could have five or six refugee families just turn up on your doorstep because of they have no place. And you would care for them. You take them into their homes, you give them a place to stay. And so pray for that. Pray for peace. There's no answer what's going to happen. It's like these are families, invaded family, and it's hard to handle. So let's take God's word. And I'd invite you to uh, take your Bibles, but before you take your Bibles, I want to ask you a question. Now, I realize I'm going to ask the question three ways, and my boys would say, Dad, you're getting older, you're losing it. I realize I'm asking three similar questions, but they are different. First of all, the first version of the question would be, if you had failed at something very miserably this week, would you try it again today? You'd failed, it was something you'd done all your life, but you failed miserably, would you try it again today? Come on, folks. You're better than I am. If I'd failed miserably at something I did well, I'd probably sit around and not do it for a while. And sort of say, why did I mess it up so much? Now I'm going to ask the question a different way. You'd failed at something miserably that you'd done all your life, but man, you just washed out big time. And Pastor Dan walks over and puts his arm on your shoulder and says, oh, come on, give it another try. I suspect maybe a third to a half would say, okay, I'll give it a try. But his life is on the line if it doesn't work. But the third variation of the question would be, if you had failed miserably this past week at something that was your line of work, but the Lord tapped you on the shoulder and said, give it a try again, what would you do? All God's people said, now come on, yes, yes, Lord, if you say it, I'll give it a try. So with that, let's go to Luke chapter 5. I know this is a familiar portion, but let's look at it in the entire context of ministry and allowing the Lord to tap us on the shoulder. Luke chapter 5, I'm going to read the first 11 verses. If we were overseas in the countries that I mentioned, 90% of them would never read God's Word sitting down, but we're here, they're there. But I want you to understand that background. And likewise, when they pray, they would always be on their knees or standing because they say, we're talking to God. I would never come into God's presence sitting down. So Luke 5, I'm beginning at verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, or Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. 
And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For you and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Father, thank you for your word. Some parts make us uneasy like this portion that we read in, in Peter, but they're for our admonition. Other parts encourage us, and we bow to give you thanks. But, Father, we're not fishermen. You called us to a variety of things, and yet, Father, sometimes we do fail miserably. And as much as that hurts us, we do thank you that you use these times to teach us. So, Father, bring us to our knees if need be. Help us to learn from your word. Help us to hear what you would tap us on the shoulder and say. We ask these mercies in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as much as we like to think this portion is about fishing, and it really is eventually, it's really about the Word of God. Uh, you notice how it begins? On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, this is not a beginning of hearing the Word of God. If you'll come back into the, the middle part of Luke chapter 4, this is a continuation of a commitment to the Word of God. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, Christ is back home. And it says he came to Nazareth, Luke 4, 16. I hope you have your Bibles in front of you. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, tick that, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and he begins then to read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who were oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. When is the last time you've heard somebody read God's Word and say, now today this portion is being fulfilled? Not very often. Now, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, hey, what you see is the fulfillment, and then he quoted some Old Testament portions. So the fact that Christ takes this portion, now the reality is we're told in history that probably there were assigned readings on certain Sabbath days And so Christ wouldn't have probably just arbitrarily turned to this portion from Isaiah 61. He would have known that was the reading. He turned up that day, and probably he was assigned to be the reader because this is home, and they rotated the readings. But as he read it in God's providence, he read it and then said, Today, this portion of God's Word is fulfilled. Now, Any right-minded, sane person that has a heart spiritually would say, please explain to me how this is going to be fulfilled. Please explain. But these people didn't have a commitment to hear God's Word. And that's sad. 
Because what they said, you read there in verse 23, and Christ knew what was going on in their minds. He said, now you're going to say to me, quoting this proverb, physician, heal yourself, because we heard about what you did in Capernaum, and do it here, please. We heard about the miracle, Lord. Forget about the word. We just want the miracle. How sad. Here's God's word. Here's the Son of God, the living word, saying this word is fulfilled in your midst. And they're saying, forget about the word. We just like a miracle. We look at them, but are we at times not much different? Oh, maybe we're more respectable. We, word, we read the word and say, Lord, but this is on my heart, not what we read in the word. And that's sad, because the word of God has to be the foundation of all that we are, all that we do, all that we profess to believe. It's not somebody's creed unless it's based on God's word. It's not what somebody said to me or somebody thinks is what God's word says. And yet we live in an age, I don't have to tell you, when people explain away things, but they will skip over what God's word says. It's what God's word says. And Christ said, you're not concerned about the word, and because of that, you're like some other people in your history that you know. He said, I say to you, this is 14, verse 24, that no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. But Elijah was sent to none of them, only to the Zarephath widow, and she was the one that saw God's blessing. Christ said it's not the question of needs to hear God's word, it's those who will hear God's word. And she saw the miracle. She saw the multiplication of the meal and the oil. And he said, by the way, there were a lot of leopards, lepers too. And he said there were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha. So we went from Elijah to Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, except Naaman, because he'd hear the word of God, delivered at the hands of a servant girl. So it isn't who delivers, it's who hears. And in the context of this portion here, you find that Christ didn't just share that word there in Nazareth. He went on to Capernaum and shared the word of God. And as he spoke, Luke 14, verse 36 says, And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? It's the word of God. And later he went back to uh, Simon Peter's home, who come up in the portion where we are, and he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And as you find that whole process as he heals and goes on, the end of uh, Luke chapter 4, and when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him there. But what did he say? I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose, and he was preaching in the synagogues. Christ just wasn't a teacher. He was a preacher, and he preached the word of God, as you saw here in Luke chapter 4. Our focus must always be on the word of God, and that's where God begins to deal with us, we, through his word. And I would suggest to you that's where you and I need to come back and say, what is the focus of our ministries? The word of God must be that focus. If I was to take you into a region about 500 kilometers east of Moscow, the region is Nizhny Novgorod. It means the old, the, uh, the, it's the old Gorky. And uh, one of the pastors that is supported by believers here in Canada is Igor Dengen. Igor came to faith in Christ in prison through a radio broadcast. 
Now he's pastoring a church that probably half of the people have come to faith in Christ through a prison, drug, or alcohol background. He creates an interesting mix, but it creates a welcoming mix for those who aren't the pretty sinners. Sometimes our churches want pretty and clean sinners, but we're all dirty sinners until we come to faith in Christ. Igor has a prison ministry, and in that prison ministry, he's seen many be saved and baptized, and, and he welcomes them when they come out and disciples them. And one time he was there, he shared with me, he said he wanted access to the solitary confinement area where there were people sentenced for all of their, most of their lives. But he wasn't allowed, even though he had access to other prisoners. So he, he went to the warden, and he said to the warden, here are some New Testaments. So those of you who have a Gideon background, those who have been provided by the Gideons, we do the whole Bibles, Gideons do New Testaments. So he gave the New Testaments to the warden and said, would you at least give them to these prisoners? The warden said yes, and a miracle of miracles he did. So as he walked down the hall of the solitary confinement cells, he shoved the New Testaments into the little passageways where they put the food with these words, pray for yourselves, you wolves. Not exactly an encouragement. Now, one of the fellows in the solitary confinement was Sasha. Sasha had, after seven years in prison, decided it was time to break out. So he and a friend bribed a guard, bought a hand grenade, took hostages, and made the demands that everybody does. Drugs, money, and an airplane never works, never will. In the course of the turmoil, uh, the hostage was killed, the accomplice was killed, and that pin got pulled on the hand grenade, and Sasha lost his legs. So he's in solitary confinement with no legs, being abused, and now we're into that solitary confinement, not just the first seven years before, but now he's into solitary confinement 20-plus years. So he takes the New Testament that he's been told that he should pray for himself as a wolf, and he begins to read. Nobody tells him he should begin in John. This is the New Testament. I begin in Mark, he says. So much like you folks have done, he begins reading. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then he's into Romans. And when he came to this portion, Romans 12, verse 12, and I'll read it. Romans 12, verse 12, reads this way. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Sasha stopped. He may have been stupid earlier, but he's getting some smarts. He realizes Romans is written by Paul in prison. And he says, if this man in prison could write rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. There was something special about this man to do this in prison. Maybe I better go back and read this again. So he began the New Testament again. By the time he came to Romans 12, verse 12 again, Sasha was a new creature in Christ. He'd repented and come to no faith in Christ. So much was he changed by the word of God that the warden and the guards started to talk to Igor, who brought the New Testament, and said, we don't know what's happened to Sasha, but something has. Igor said the same thing that happened to me. I'm a new, a new creature in Christ. And by the way, when you see Igor, Igor Dengen, if I could take you there, all that he say that he was in prison for everything except murder. But when he closes his hands to pray, you'll see across his upper knuckles the self-administering prison tattoos. In fact, I've been with him in rehab centers where everybody was a prisoner in the background. And I tell you, folks, these people are new creatures in Christ, and I've never been in a place with more peace than I can imagine because they're new creatures in Christ. They were wolves, now they're sheep. So Igor explained what God had done and petitioned 
that Sasha could be released early. And by God's grace, God intervened, and a couple years before he would have served his second term of 27 years, he was released. And he spent that, the next years, sharing the power of the Word of God to transform lives for those who confessed Christ and repented. Sasha's with the Lord now because of his hearing and responding to the Word of God. We're coming back to Luke 5. This is about God's Word, but it's about more than that. You can hear God's Word and read it like you do Shakespeare. And for some of you, the words may be similar, but they're not the same. So Christ is preaching the Word of God, and he's preached it on the shoreline, in the boat. And as he finishes, now it's time to apply the sermon. When he had finished preaching Luke 5, verse 4, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now it's time to listen to you specifically, to me, he said to Simon. Now remember that Simon had been brought by his brother Andrew, and when Christ first saw Simon and Simon first saw Christ, Christ called him by name. How would you feel if I walked up to you and called you by name? And yet we'd never met. That's pretty overwhelming. But Christ here spoke to him directly again and said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon is transparent. He said, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. You've got to understand that the way they fished in those days, and I'm not a fisherman, I think there are far better ways to drown a worm. They fished in the shallows at night because the fish came into the shallows at night. But in the, the day which it was now, the fish went out into the deep where the water was cooler. And so the, you face this dilemma as a fisherman. Lord, you mean we go out in the deep when we normally fish in the shallows? You mean we cast down our nets, but the nets will not go down so far? Can the fish are deeper? And who's going to bring the fish up into where the nets are because we know they're down deep? But at your word. At your word, we'll do what you say. So there's not just the word of God, there's a commitment here to obedience. Because Simon said, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Sometimes it just has to be, what does the word say? I never cease to be amazed. I'm 68, I admit that. But I thought, you know, I'd seen different things, but now it comes, goes around and comes around. And people try and explain what God's word says about what's right and what's wrong. And, you know, whether it's about baptism or whatever it may be, but you know, baptism means immerse, bury. I can't argue with that. Christ said, go immerse and bury those who have come to trust in Christ. It doesn't mean I bury them in the ground when under, six feet under, but it means I encourage them to obey Christ that way. It means I trust them to give to him that which is portion, to serve him the way he demands, to hear him and obey. That means even just sharing God's word and trusting God's word to have an impact in people's lives. One of the pastors we work with is planning a church in downtown Moscow, and I know Moscow is expensive, and people say, why do you get involved with people in expensive cities? Because cities need to hear the gospel too. And you and I all know that we have not done a good job of sharing the gospel in cities. There's only few, very few churches we know are really vibrant in downtown areas. So Russian Bible Church did something rather innovative, not terribly high-tech, they went to a pedestrian mall in downtown Moscow, and they, they put themselves in front of Starbucks, and yes, they have Starbucks in Moscow, and they had Nike to the side of them, and they began to read the Bible through. 
From 10 in the morning to 10 at night, they took turns reading the Bible through. You say, not very high tech. Well, this is outside of what they call their house of prayer. To do this out in the open is phenomenal. But they, they salted the crowd with believers. And as Pastor Dan would have been reading, I would have slept with this fellow and say, what do you think of what he's reading? Did you ever see the Bible like that? Would you like to talk about this and study a bit? Hey, we've got a small group at our place, and, and if you don't, you're ready to come to my place, we meet at the Andy Cafe and we just discuss the Bible. Glad to chat with you. Oh, hey, we've got a sports league too if you want to come, and then we'll have a Bible study. Well, the reality was they read that Bible from beginning to end, and in the end they had five people come to faith in Christ. You say, would never happen. Why couldn't it happen? It did. But that's not the end of the story. Another congregation said, well, we're not sure we've got enough people to read the whole Bible through and without wearing people out and without wearing out our welcome. So they just said, before Easter, we're going to gather in the downtown square and we're going to read the New Testament through. And uh, they, they did not do this offensively. They just basically had said, this is God's Word and we want to share with you as we're coming to Easter what God's Word says. And as they're reading the New Testament through... A man walked up to the crowd, through the crowd, and to one of the people that was obviously part of the congregation. He said, now, I'm not negative associated gospel. Please understand this. He said, are you Baptists? Because in the former Soviet Union, to be evangelical, to be a born-again believer, was to be Baptist. And the two largest evangelical groups now are Baptist or Pentecostal, but it was predominantly the term then was Baptist. And the fellow said, yes, because you don't know this fellow KGB, what's he about? Because KGB means he goes against the police and they create a problem. So they kept reading, and a while later, this fellow came back to somebody else in the crowd now with a wrapped package in brown paper. With this explanation, my father was KGB. He put a lot of your people to death and sent a lot of them to prison, but he confiscated materials, but he kept this. And so as the believer opened the package, it was a Bible. Excuse me. The believer was smart. He said, Do you know what this says? The fellow says, No. He said, Let me let me read to you more of God's word and explain what's being read here. Bottom lies one, that young that man whose father was KGB is now a child of God. Because somebody obeyed and shared God's word and explained God's word and told him that he was a sinner and needed to know Christ as Savior. So you've heard about Sasha. You've heard about Russian Bible Church and this other congregation. But let's go back to see what Peter did. It says he obeyed and he let down the nets. And when they had done this, Dr. Luke records they enclosed a large number of fish. Now, this is a miracle. God brought the fish up from the deep area into the shallow area where the nets were, even though they're out where the water's deep, the fish have come up, and their nets are full and breaking. What a wonderful opportunity. But they needed help. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both boats so they began to sink. You've got to understand some of the background here, folks. These fellows had worked all night. They'd finally fixed their nets. They had finally cleaned their boats out. 
and they're getting them all dirty again. First time, they didn't even know the, the boat was going to, what was going to happen, but God provided the fish. And the other fellow's got to buy in because they're already tired and they're going to help. Partnering does not always happen when it's convenient. Or the demand for partnering doesn't always help when it's convenient. But sometimes God knocks us on the, taps us on the shoulder and says, we could use some help here. Everything that we do at Slavic Gospel Association is about churches helping churches. We don't sort of work with lone rangers who are doing this and that, even though it may be very good. We, our desire is like an Acts 11, 12, 13, that churches work with churches. I have no desire that you'd say, hey, Slavic Gospel Association does Emmanuel's Child here or there. What I'd want you to know is that there is a church that you partnered with that is doing Emmanuel's Child and you could look at a map and say, that's where our Emmanuel's child stars went. As I said, we sent yours to Stavropol because that's where the bulk of the Western Canada churches focus in Russia. But what we say to you is the things we do, whether it's, or we facilitate, whether it's ministry in orphanages or Emmanuel's child or training of pastors or even some of the partnerships. I walked into Pastor Dan's office and I saw some of the Nine Marks materials. Yes, we're working with nine marks in Capitol Hill Baptist Church because the believers in churches in Russia said, we need those resources. We're working with the Gospel Coalition and specifically Don Carson, with whom I went to seminary, because churches said, we need some voices like that. Yes, they've got Dr. MacArthur, and yes, they have other, but they said, we need a multiplicity of voices so they have that affirmation of what God's Word says. If I could take you into southern Ukraine, I would like you to meet a very short but a very big-hearted pastor called Igor Zurba. Igor Zurba serves because some churches in Ontario, actually one in Ontario and one in Mission, Mission BC help him and have responded to his cry for help. Igor has planted three churches, one of them a Roma church. You say Roma aren't supposed to respond to the gospel. That's the old, that's the, Roma's now the proper word for gypsy. But Igor went and shared the gospel. And now, after the matriarch came to faith in Christ... Her one son is the pastor of that church, and her other son, another of her sons is planting another church. This is the power of God's word when people obey God's word and share God's word, and people come to faith in Christ. And when people respond and say, yeah, I'll partner. It was interesting. I'm going to have somebody come along and eventually succeed me at SGA. His name is Bill Ball. Bill was the pastor of one of those churches that partners with Igor Zerba. And uh, so we had Bill and his wife Judy along with Lynn and I, and we visited Igor. And all that Igor knew was there's this Pastor Bill. Again, he pronounces it the Ukrainian way, Bill, Bill. And so I said to Igor and Lynn there, I said, now, this is Pastor Bill. And remember I said the card that I, they, Bill's church had bought one of these shopping bags out of Dollarama, you know, the, the Christmas shopping bags, and the church made it into a big card, and I hand-carried it. And Igor had this shopping bag card on his wall unit. And every time he became discouraged, he pulled that out and he saw all the names and people said, we're praying for you. We love you. We care for you. We're part of the, the, the church family at North Broadway Baptist Church in Tilsonburg that support you. And when Igor realized this was the pastor Bill from that church that sent the card that responded to his cry for partnership, he broke down into tears. Now, Bill is taller than I am. Bill's 6'2 or so, maybe 6'3. And even if he stood on his tippy toes, Igor is no more than 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. But basically, Igor just hung on his neck and said, Thank you, Pastor Beal. Thank you, thank you. Slava Bogo, thank you, thank you. 
Peter's partners responded. They heard the cry. One last thing that I think there has to be a a sense of in this portion. We just don't commit to God's word, to obey God's word, to partner in doing what God says. We partner in sharing the gospel with others because Christ said to Simon, don't be afraid. You can read the portion there. He feels so unworthy, but he said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when he brought them to the land, they left everything and followed him. Hey, that, that's, this is a big order. We know from previous portions, Peter was married, had a family, had servants, yet he walked away from everything. I bet you this created a bit of discussion when he went home finally. I'm sure the wife was saying, Peter, what have you done? Those of you who are married understand. My wife would never say that. I need to qualify this. She'd never say that. But she'd have every right to say it. In fact, I thank the God for Lynn. I've never come across and said, I think God wants us to do something. She hasn't said, yes, I'm with you. Thank you. But he left everything to catch men. With that sense that God could do something very special. And I'm sure this, this portion went through his mind on the day of Pentecost. Not just a full net, but these thousands that are coming to faith in Christ and repenting. I'm sure Peter said, boy, I left the, I'm glad I left the nets and followed Christ. If I could take you into that region of Stavropol, where the Western churches have planted, uh, I'd like you to meet, well, I'm not quite sure where he is, but I'll tell you what happened in his life. His name is Nikolai. And I was there. We'd had a partnership that had evolved in doing some things, and I was at the rehab center because, you see, Every congregation there, or groups of congregations, have a rehab center for those who have an alcohol, drug, or prison background. So you would have a rehab center where you have 12 to 15 men you're paying for to study God's Word, and of that 12 to 15 men, 8 to 10 10 will come to faith in Christ every two months. What a great plan for evangelizing. So I was there once, and uh, these fellows are trained. You'd say it's a little bit like AA, and it is, but Nikolai stood up, and Nikolai was beautifully coiffed, a trim beard. But I noticed as he walked, he didn't have toes. So I thought maybe diabetes, but he lost his toes through frostbite. I sometimes forget to say that. So Nikolai stood up and said, I was the village drunk. He had my attention. He said, I lived in the cemetery. Now, you need to understand, in an a Orthodox culture, people regularly bring vodka to the graves of their departed loved ones. So for the village drunk, what better place to hang your hat? And he said, when I was hungry, they were always bringing food for their festivals, and they can think of, they have festivals, more festivals than a dog has fleas. But he said, well, the Redeemer here kept coming to say, who you really need is Christ. And he said, one day I listened. And they brought me back, sobered me up, cleaned me up, and I heard the gospel, and I repented. And here he is, new creature in Christ, because somebody heard God's word and obeyed God's word and shared the gospel. I happen to be back again because no McDonald's, no Tim Hortons over there. You go to where there's a good cook. So if you're a good cook, let me know your address. No. <laughs> so I went in there and I looked around. And again, he's moved on now because I'm not back there on a regular basis. So I said, where's Nikolai? Get this. He's helping a pastor plant a church. You mean that fellow was a village drunk? And now as a new creature in Christ, he's helping a pastor plant a church. Yep. Now, I was again in that area again a few years later, and I went to where the good food was at the rehab center. And they knew I'd ask about Nikolai before, and they took me into a little room that would be no bigger than your beautiful piano here. 
And they said, look at the floor. And I said, I'm looking, but what am I supposed to be seeing? They said, do you see that floor covering? We would have called it linoleum, cushion floor, whatever it was. They said, that's the only thing we'd let Nikolai keep when he left the cemetery. And you can imagine why. Because that's what he rolled himself up in every night before he laid down. And obviously his feet were exposed, and that's why he lost his toes. They said, for the longest while, Nikolai wanted to see that, left that rolled up in the corner of that room as a reminder of what he had been, and but by God's grace. But he said, now, he says, yeah, I want you to put that on the floor, and every time you bring a new person into the rehab center, I want you to tell them what Christ did for me, and as I listened to his word, as I repented, and as you shared God's word with me, and as I'm out now also sharing God's word with others. Because they said, God still brings people to faith in himself. God still blesses those who, who do serve him together. And so I'd ask you this morning. Yeah, it's almost afternoon, I think. Remember I asked you, what would you do if you had failed miserably, but Christ tapped you on the shoulder? What would you do today if Christ taps you on the shoulder to share the gospel with somebody to serve him in some way? I didn't leave the farm because I didn't like farming. I left the farm because God tapped me on the shoulder. And I'm not saying everybody leaves where they do, but some of us need to make some changes to do what God wants us to do. Do you hear me? Let's pray.